Does anybody here know in what year the elevator was invented? Any guesses? Very close, whoever said 18, 1853. Shortly after the elevator was invented, there was a hillbilly family from the hills of West Virginia who were on travel through the big city of Philadelphia when they stopped in the middle of town at a multi-tiered hotel, a swanky hotel. They walked in to the lobby of the hotel. Pa said to Ma and their son, why don't you sit here in the lobby while I go over there to see if we can get a room? So while Paul, while Pa went over to the check-in desk. Ma and Sonny sat down and did some people watching. Before long, a rickety old man who could barely walk with a cane, hunched over, bald head, walks up to a wall that has a bunch of doors on it. He pushes a button, a door opens, and he steps into a small room. The door closes behind him, and Ma and Sonny watch as lights above that door begin to light up from left to right and back again. A couple minutes later, a bell rings, ding. The door opens, and out walks a drop-dead gorgeous hunk of a young man with jet black hair. Ma's eyes get really wide, and in amazement, she turns and says to her son, go get your father. Let's put him in that there thing and see what it can do for him. <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful if personal transformation was that easy? Just step into a small room, push some buttons, wait a couple minutes, ding, you come out and voila, the new me emerges. And we're not just talking about physical appearance here. We're talking about the person I am versus the person I have always hoped to become. Leo Tolstoy said, everybody wants to change the world, nobody wants to change themselves. Actually, I think it would be more accurate to say, everybody wants to change the world when we can't even change ourselves, because the truth is, most of us want to change. We want to become the best version of ourselves, but that is just so hard. How many people here today are still keeping your New Year's resolution? Raise your hand. I rest my case. <laughs> I see four hands, right? The rest of us either didn't make any resolutions, because what's the use? We won't keep them. Or we made them, and we've already broke them. Because change is really, really hard. So how do we become our best self? How can we live our best life now? What is the biblical formula for personal transformation? Let's pray. God, you gave us the gift of life. We don't want to waste it. You've put us here to become beautiful people who do beautiful things, and we want to live into the fullness of what you intended for us. Today, deepen our understanding 
of the biblical formula for genuine transformation. We ask this in the name of Jesus, the one who came to show us the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. So this is the third installment in our sermon series called New Life in Christ. We've already explored what Jesus meant when he said, you must be born again. He meant that every one of us needs to be born twice. First, we are born physically when our mother's water breaks and we were brought into this world as material creatures with physical bodies filled with powerful primal instincts. Those instincts aren't necessarily bad. The instincts that have been implanted in our body can sometimes be salutatious. For example, hunger is what drives us to eat so that we stay alive. Sex drive is what drives us to create children and intimacy and, and primal fear can help us to avoid taking undue risk in life. But those same impulses that can sometimes help us, if not guided by something higher, can also often prompt us to do crazy and self-destructive things. Hunger can easily become gluttony, and sex drive can easily lead to adultery, and all of the hurt and the brokenness that causes primal fear can cause us to live unduly cautious, maybe even cowardly lives. If all I am, if when I am merely existing as a material creature, living by nothing higher than my primal instincts, I am at best only half alive. That's what Jesus teaches us. Yes, God has planted an eternal soul in each of our physical bodies, but those eternal souls lie dormant within us until they are activated. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. To be fully alive. To be all that you were meant to be and I was meant to be. In both body and spirit. Each of us needs to experience a spiritual awakening that is so transformational, Jesus said it's akin to being reborn, born a second time. And so the grace of God pursues us, chases us down, knocks at the door of our sleeping hearts and says, hello, I'm here. I want to walk through life with you, strengthen you, guide you, be your friend, companion, and savior. The grace of God, the goodness of God pursues us wherever we go, showering us with blessings, sometimes even bringing challenges into our life, whatever it takes to try to wake up our soul until we finally, in our spiritual path, get to that place where we reach back in faith to God's grace and say, Lord Jesus, Come in to my life. And when that happens, voila! The miracle of the second birth happens. And now 
My awakened spirit is in connection with God's spirit and I'm able to commune and communicate with God and all the power of heaven is now available to be downloaded into my awake spirit. The goodness of God, the peace of God, the power of God is now available to me and all of a sudden I have a whole new power source in my life, a higher power. Have you ever had occasion to use an old-fashioned real mower, R-E-E-L, an old-fashioned real mower? Sh Shannon has. A few of us have. Randy has. I'm very young, but... <laughs> no, no, laugh when it's appropriate, not when it's not. All right, all right. Despite my youth, I once had an opportunity to use one of these old-fashioned push mowers. For starters, you have to get enough speed to get the blade whirling fast enough that it will actually cut the grass because it's entirely powered by you. And God forbid that you have to push uphill in tall grass. It is exhausting. Compare that to a modern, externally-powered gas-powered, self-propelled push mower where all you have to do is walk behind it and guide it. Before our second birth, living beautiful lives in the goodness of God is like trying to push an old-fashioned real mower uphill in tall grass. But after our second birth, there is a whole new source of power, an external power source that is in our life that is the spiritual equivalent of a modern gas-powered, self-propelled push mower. So that after our second birth, when our spirit connects with God's spirit, we begin to discover that we can do things that we never thought we could do before so much so that Jesus said, John 14, 12, the one who believes in me will do the works that I, Jesus, do. And in fact, we'll do even greater works than these. Let the magnitude of those words settle into your soul. This is Jesus saying, you who believe in me will have the capacity to do what I've done, even greater things than I've done. That is the incredible potential that lies in you and me after our second birth. Okay, so once we gain access to all that power, what are we supposed to do with it? How is my life supposed to be different after the second birth? That's the question that today's scripture passage answers for it. The New Testament calls this new way of being, this post-second birth life, new life in the Spirit. Excuse me. Let me say it more accurately. Life in the Spirit. And our passage today explains what that means. Look back at Galatians 5.16. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh, for what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit. And what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. That 
phrase, the desires of the flesh, is a reference to those primal animal instincts that have been built in to each one of us. And, those, and when we're living a life where we're guided by nothing higher than those instincts, those instincts can end up running amok in our life and generating self-destructive, hurtful things like, verse 19, fornication, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, etc., etc. In other words, before the second birth, when we're living in the instincts of the flesh, it's an almost primitive existence. Very primal, kind of like cavemen and cave women and cave people. You may remember in the family moment a, a, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor David told us the story of his search for a new job. David volunteers part-time at the church, but works an outside job. And he told us the story of, of seeking a new uh, job. And in the course of telling that story, he mentioned that several headhunters had been after him. Later in the worship service, before the scripture, we dismissed the children and the youth to go to their class. When the tweens got to their upstairs loft and settled in, they said to Pastor Tandy that they were very concerned about Pastor David. Tandy said, well, why? They said, well, who are these people who want to cut off Pastor David's head? <laughs> I'm not making this up. He used that term in a context that they had never heard before. And so they took it literally as if there were these cannibals out there who were trying to cut off David's head. <laughs> kind of like uh, the old joke about uh, wh what, uh, what happened to the cannibals when they ate a missionary. They got a little taste of religion. Okay, I've got a better one. <laughs> what did one cannibal say to the other cannibal when they were eating a clown? Does this taste funny to you? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> when, when we are living by nothing higher than our primal instincts, impulsive living, following the powerful urges implanted in our bodies. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. It's kill or be killed. It's look out for yourself because nobody else is going to do it. Grab what you can while you can because you never know when there's going to be a shortage. It's a competitive way of life. Survival of the fittest. The focus becomes surviving, literally or metaphorically. And the goal becomes self-preservation, protecting me and mine. It's a very me-focused, inward-oriented way of life. A case in point. Back in 2017, the Associated Press did a story about a New Jersey man named Joseph Badami. 
He and his wife had spent decades preparing for a future doomsday scenario. They were survivalists. And so Joseph and his wife Phyllis had built an elaborate underground uh, uh, bomb shelter beneath their house, complete with kitchen, bathrooms, multiple rooms. And they had gathered all of the supplies for survival, including 80 barrels of non-perishable food, enough to feed themselves and 82 of their favorite people for four months. Talk about life as survival. Life preoccupied with self-preservation. But then life took an unexpected turn for Joseph Badami. His wife, Phyllis, came down with a very serious illness, and he spent the next couple years caring for her hand and foot, and they spent everything they had on her medical care. Then she passed away, leaving him alone at 74 years old and completely broke the bank, foreclosed on their home, including their underground shelter. It was about that time that Joseph met another New Jersey couple who came from Puerto Rico, and this was in the aftermath of the terrible hurricane in Puerto Rico where people were, were desperate for food. And they, this New Jersey couple from Puerto Rico was gathering food to send to Puerto Rico. And that's, that's when through the crush of life that was coming down on him, it's as if something began to awaken in Joseph Badami's soul. Sometimes it's the blessings of God, sometimes it's challenges in life that cause our soul to begin to wake up because Joseph began to feel this twinge in his soul like God was saying to him that he should give all 80 barrels of that food to the Puerto Rican relief effort. Talk about counterintuitive. Talk about the opposite of self-preservation. He sensed God's spirit waking up his spirit and calling him to give it all away, to give away his safety net, leaving nothing but God. He reached back in faith. He did it. He later told the Associated Press, he said, Phyllis and I prepared all this for one group of people, and it turns out it's going to help another group of people. That's wonderful. Note that word, wonderful. It's, it's, when our, it's when we have a spiritual awakening and our spirit begins to connect with God's spirit at a higher purpose that we're finally able to live in the fullness of life and begin to experience the wonder of life. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Joseph was happier when he was living in that self-preservationist mode or when by faith he turned to a focus on something greater than himself, the higher purpose in his life? This is what we are called to, to let our souls be awakened by God and to begin to connect with God's Spirit so that we can live life in the Spirit because when that happens, there's a whole new power source in our life and a whole new set of values that can take a hold in our life that the New Testament calls the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the term that is used to describe the highest spiritual values that we are enabled to begin to live when our spirit connects with God's spirit. And our passage today identifies what the fruit of the spirit 
is. Galatians 5.22, by contrast to the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We're not living any longer dominated by primal instinct. If we live by the Spirit, let us be led by the Spirit. This is the change we seek. This is what our best life looks like. This is what new life in Christ is supposed to look like. When we experience the miracle of the second birth, when we reach back and say, Jesus, come into my heart, awaken my spirit, connect my spirit with your spirit. This is the miracle of the transformation process that begins in our life. And I say begin because the second birth just marks the beginning of a long process. Think about it. When a child is born physically, that child is not born as a fully formed, mature human being. But when that child is born, the child has latent within it the potential to grow into a fully mature human being. It's the same with the second birth. When we experience the miracle of the second birth and our spirit is activated and connected to God, we are not suddenly fully spiritual, mature people. We're infants who, like a newborn child, have the potential now to become fully mature spirit beings. But we've got years of gradual growth ahead of us to live into the fullness of that. If you take a walk through my neighborhood down Midnight Drive, you'll see this tree. You may not even see it though because it's just one of many trees. It's an ordinary tree. This is what that tree looks like in August. It's a fine tree, but an ordinary tree. But if you walk down that same road several months later at the peak of fall color, this tree looks like this. And that picture doesn't even do it justice. I mean, I, I always walk my dogs down this road. And when that tree is fully turned, though I've seen it a million times, I always have to just stop and spend a few minutes taking it in. It is iridescent. Amazing. One of the most beautiful trees I've ever seen in my life. Ordinary tree transformed into this dazzling miracle of nature. That's the promise of the new birth, the second birth. But this tree did not become like this overnight. There was a long period of 60, 90 days between late August and early November when little by little, almost imperceptibly, a transformation was taking place. Midway through the process, this is what the tree looked like. You can just barely see some red beginning to peek out from the green leaves. And so day by day, leaf by leaf, a gradual transition until ultimately 
the transformation is complete and stunning. That's what life in the Spirit is like. You see, when we experience a spiritual awakening, we now have two powerful forces at work within us at the same time, instinct and spirit. And as our passage told us, there's some real tension between those two powers that are at work in our life now. It's like the Spirit says to you, you're just one great workout away from being in a good mood. Let's hit the gym. Meanwhile, your primal instinct says to you, you know what else would put you in a good mood? A honey bun. <laughs> so there's this tug of war. There's this push-pull that is taking place in us. And it's a, the new birth. New life in Christ is a gradual process of the power of the Spirit growing and taking charge of our life and the gradual change that comes with that so that hopefully when we get to the end of our days, the fall of our life, hopefully we will be reaching our spiritual peak, ready for all of eternity. Dr. Paul Brand is, uh, was a medical doctor and a renowned hand surgeon, best known for co-authoring a book with Philip Yancey called uh, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. It's a book about the miracle of God's creation of our human bodies. Dr. Brand, in his elder years, ended up living in a nursing home. And over the course of time, ultimately, that nursing home built a new wing onto it and when it was time to dedicate that wing, they asked Dr. Brand if he would speak at the dedication ceremony. What he said was profound. Part of what he said in that dedication ceremony was this. He said, I remember well when I was at my physical peak. I was 27 years old and had just finished medical school. A group of friends and I went mountain climbing and we were able to climb for hours. We were at our physical peak. For some people, when they cross their physical peak, for them, life is over. He continued, I remember well my mental peak too. I was 57 years of age and was performing groundbreaking hand surgery. All of my medical training was coming together in one place. For some people, when they cross their professional peak, for them, life is over. I'm now over 80 years of age and in a nursing home. And I recently realized I'm approaching another peak, my spiritual peak. All that I've sought to become as a person has the opportunity now to come together in wisdom, maturity, kindness, love, joy, and peace. And I realize when I cross that peak, for me, life will not be over. It will have only just begun. That's the goal. That's what we're seeking in life. Not a life focused on self-preservation, but on self-development. Not a life whose goal is to survive, but a life whose goal is to thrive. To thrive in spirit. What Galatians chapter 5 is talking to us about today, I think it can be summarized in a couple simple graphs. 
And, and by the way, I've printed out these graphs on uh, a single piece of paper, multiple pages that are out at, at, at the back. And you, when you exit the sanctuary, just past the communion supplies, and before you get to Sunday headlines, you'll find some of the, the handouts that are there if you want to take this home and reflect on this more. But it, it seems to me that what Galatians 5 is talking to us about is two different paradigms for living. Life in the flesh, instinctive, and life in the spirit, which is guided by the Spirit of God, empowered externally by the power of God. The first paradigm, life in the flesh, there the guidance is instinct. So it's a visceral, reactive, impulsive form of life. The focus is surviving. The goal is self-preservation, protecting me and mine. The power source is internal, those built-in instincts. And the result can be a life of conflict, competition, chaos, stagnation, and stuckness. By contrast, after the second birth, when we're living life in the Spirit, we now have the potential to be guided by the Holy Spirit, which creates a spiritual, reflective, often noble life. Our focus is no longer on surviving, but rather thriving. Better to live well than to live long. Our goal is no longer self-preservation, but self-development. No longer protecting me and mine, but promoting the greater good, which we as followers of Jesus call the kingdom of God. Our power source is external, tapping into our higher power. And the result can be a life of beauty, progress, and transcendence. This is the change we seek. And all of us hope that someday this is the beautiful creature that we will become, that we will reach our spiritual peak like Paul Brand was talking about. But all of that leads to a last question. If this is the goal, empowering the Spirit in our life, life in the Spirit, is there something, anything that we can do to increase the odds that we'll get there? The past, the present, and the future walked into a bar. It was tense. Past tense, present tense, future tense. The past is life in the flesh. Our future is life in the spirit. When they meet in our present, it can be tense. There is a a tug-of-war that takes place. What can we do to increase the odds that spirit prevails? Once upon a time, a Cherokee grandfather told his grandson a parable about life, a story that he hoped his son would always, his grandson would always remember. The parable went like this. In vivid terms, the grandpa explained that there are two great wolves that live inside each one of us. And those two wolves are at war with each other, a fight to the death. One of those wolves, Grandpa explained, is filled with negative energy, anger, aggression, greed, selfishness. But the other wolf 
is the opposite, filled with positive energy, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness. And Grandpa explained to his grandson, these two wolves are at war with each other, and they live inside of you. The little boy, eyes wide, said, Grandpa, which one wins? Grandpa said, the one you feed, my son, the one you feed. Life in the spirit is like that. Flesh, instinct, in its self-destructiveness, spirit in its uplift. Which one is going to win in you and me? The one that we feed. And that's why spiritual practices are so important because spiritual practices are what feed our spirit so that our spirit grows stronger. That's what we're doing here today. We're here today worshiping and praying and learning from the scriptures and meditating on the scriptures to strengthen our spirit for what we're going to face this week, the struggle that will be out there. And, and when each day we take a little bit of quiet time for prayer and reflection on the scripture, we're feeding our spirit to make it stronger. And when we gather with spiritual friends and oasis groups and discipleship classes, when we when we serve God and the people around us, when we give generously of our financial resources contrary to all instinct of self-preservation, when we take a walk in nature and we're mindful that we're surrounded by the glory of God, when we let beautiful music lift our souls, all of these are spiritual practices that are meant to feed our spirit and make it stronger and stronger. And if we have a consistent, intentional rhythm of spiritual practice operating in our life, our spirit grows stronger and stronger and stronger. As the, the old saying goes, what you will be, you are now becoming. Do you want to become your best self, the most beautiful version of yourself, all that God intended you to be? Feed your spirit. Let me close with this. A, uh, a New Zealand university student named Brooke Lacey, 22 years old, went through a really hard time during COVID. Like many of us, she struggled, and in her isolation, she fell into a deep depression and even became suicidal. By 2022, she was coming out the other side of that. And she sensed God's spirit saying to her spirit, now I want you to help others who go through that, who have that similar experience. And that's when she got a spirit-inspired idea to create 600 laminated signs that she would post strategically around her city in the kinds of places that people might go if they were considering Suicide, overpasses, bridges, waterways, railroad tracks. And each of those laminated signs had these words. Please don't take your life today. The world is so much better with you in it. More than you realize, stay. She also had a bumper sticker with those same words made and put it on her vehicle. One day, after she finished up a class at the university, she was walking out to the student parking lot. As she was approaching her vehicle, she noticed that somebody had tucked 
a handwritten note under her windshield. She thought, ah, it's probably somebody complaining about my crooked parking. But when she opened up the note, this is what it said. I left my house today with a plan to end my life. And I asked God for a sign, any sign, whether I was doing the right thing. Then I saw your car and the bumper sticker in the parking lot. Thank you. That was the sign. That is so beautiful. That's what can happen when our spirit connects with God's spirit. And we're listening to the voice of the spirit in our life. And we're guided by the spirit. God can use us to do amazing things. The one who believes in me, Jesus said, will do the works that I do and in fact will do even greater works than these. What did Jesus do? He went around saving people physically and spiritually. And what did Brooke Lacey do in that instance? Exactly the same thing. She saved somebody physically and spiritually. Oh, life in the spirit is a life of wonder. This past week, Laura Nichols uh, sent me a text. She told me that she saw her therapist on Monday, and guided by the Spirit, Laura felt led to take last Sunday's Sunday headlines and give it to her therapist because she wanted her therapist to see page three of last Sunday's headlines, which was the, the picture of our trans justice billboard and a list of all 25 of the locations. So she left that with her therapist. And the next day, she gets a text from her therapist that says this. I gave a copy of your Sunday headlines to a mother yesterday who has a transgender child. The child feels very hated and unloved by Christians. I wanted her to see that there are Christians who are good and love her. Her mom was so excited to have the addresses of the billboards so that she can drive by them to show her daughter Thank you all for what you're doing. It's amazing. It is amazing what God can do through us when we're living life in the Spirit. This is the change we seek. This is what new life in Christ looks like. Life in the spirit where are you on that path has have you experienced a spiritual awakening have you said lord jesus come into my life and if so where are you on that path now of gradual transformation are you in the process of genuine transformation are you feeding your spirit what's the next step for you toward becoming the most beautiful version of yourself Lord Jesus, help us all not to stagnate. Help us all to, to awaken to the beauty and the power of spiritual life. Perform that miracle of transformation in us. We open our spirit to your spirit. Guide us. Amen.